this time, parents with children ages three to seven, uh, you're welcome to accompany your children to the back of the hall to meet with their teachers if you'd like to have them go to their class. And we'll move directly into studying God's Word now. A few months ago, 17 missionaries were working in the island nation of Haiti, and they were kidnapped. Their abductors wanted one million U.S. dollars per person to release them. That's $17 million to release these people who were serving the Lord Jesus in that, in that country. That's a lot of money. Their sending organization seems to have believed that it was worth it, no matter how costly. And so they began raising the ransom money when in God's kindness, about 10 days ago, those who had been kidnapped, who remained with their captors, escaped in the middle of the night, walked 10 miles in the darkness through dense jungles until they were free. Now, if the sending agency had had to pay it, it would have been an extremely costly redemption. The high cost of redeeming a person, even a family, is one of the features of this last chapter in the book of Ruth. Is it worth it? The book of Ruth began with a family fleeing God's promised land for a land, Moab, that they thought could feed them and where idolatry ruled. It was not the promised land. And there in Moab, the family of Naomi and Elimelech experienced barrenness, death, and ultimately bitterness. After all the men in the family died, the old widow Naomi trudged back to Bethlehem, her hometown, empty-handed. And on her return, she told the women of Bethlehem, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty, except, except that Ruth was by her side. Faithful Ruth, kind Ruth, believing Ruth. Ruth was the young Moabite widow who had left her family, her country, and her religion behind in order to trust in the Lord, the God of Israel. Ruth was with Naomi, and there when they arrived back in Bethlehem, they found that the Lord had given Israel a harvest. There was no longer famine in the land. The Lord was revealing His hand of kindness to them. Then in chapter 2, Boaz, the worthy man, of Bethlehem showed extraordinary kindness to Ruth and Naomi by allowing them to harvest in his fields. And more than that, Boaz was revealed to be a possible kinsman redeemer for the family of Elimelech. Then in chapter 3, Naomi sent Ruth to Boaz on the threshing floor in the dead of night. It was a dangerous and risky step. But it was a step of faith as well. And there Ruth asked Boaz to redeem Naomi, Naomi's husband's estate and with it her as his wife in order to provide an heir to Naomi's 
husband's inheritance. He was touched by Ruth's faith and extreme kindness toward Naomi, and he agreed to redeem her. He knew she was a worthy woman. But there was one last problem in the clan of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. There was another redeemer, another redeemer who stood before Boaz. He had the right, the first right, to redeem the family's inheritance. Now, as morning dawned on the threshing floor, Ruth made her way back to Naomi to tell her of all that Boaz had said. He had said he would resolve the issue that very day, and Naomi promised it. As chapter 4, the final chapter in the book of Ruth opens, it's the next day and Boaz is headed for the city gates of Bethlehem. Let's pray before we begin to look at Ruth chapter 4. Let's go to the Lord one more time. Heavenly Father, this true story of loss and loving kindness ultimately teaches us about ourselves, about you, and about the Lord Jesus and the gospel. We pray that you would cause your word to pour out your blessings on us today. Lord, teach us, convict us, reassure us. Do all that's necessary through your word to build us up in Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, turn with me in your Bibles, if you have one, to Ruth chapter 4. You can find Ruth chapter 4 in the Old Testament. It's the eighth book in your Bible, the eighth book in your Bible, Ruth chapter 4, situated right between the book of Judges and 1 Samuel. We're going to work our way through this chapter in two sections, and that's going to form the two points of the outline of my sermon this afternoon. We're going to begin with verses 1 through 11a, the first part of 11, and then we'll stop there and see what the Lord has for us in those verses. Follow along with me as I read. Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 through 11a. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down. And so they sat down. And then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. And then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. And then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. And then Boaz 
said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Mahlon. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahlon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. The first point of the sermon this afternoon is costly redemption. What we're seeing in these verses here is a costly redemption. In these first two verses... We see Boaz head to the gate, and amazingly, in God's providence, of course, the first possible redeemer comes along, and Boaz asks him to sit down. And then Boaz assembles ten elders before all of them. It's like he's setting up the courtroom here. The witnesses are in place. And in chapter 3, there was lots of lying down. I don't know if you remember that, lying down on the threshing floor. Well, here at the gate, there's lots of sitting down. And that indicates that decisions are about to be made. Then Boaz explains the situation with Naomi and the land that was her husband's. He explains it to this first possible redeemer. Now, technically, Naomi couldn't control who got the land. If the first choice redeemer in the clan wanted it, he could buy it. Boaz finishes laying out what's on offer by telling this unnamed first choice redeemer, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there's no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. Now, it's a win-win situation for this man at this point. And so he jumps at the chance to get Elimelech's land. I'll redeem it, he says immediately. But there's a catch, something he's not considered. And now Boaz points out the catch. With the land comes Ruth the Moabite, the widow of one of Elimelech's sons. And when you buy the land, you get a wife in Ruth whom you will need to marry in order to try and produce an heir so that the family name will not be cut off. That's a part of what it meant to be a kinsman redeemer. Now, that changes everything for this would-be redeemer. If Ruth weren't there, he could get the land. Now, he would have to take care of Naomi as well, but income from using the land will help him cover that cost. And ultimately, that land then would be put into his inheritance that gets divided among his descendants. That's a good deal. But having to marry Ruth means that he has to cover three extra costs. First of all, he has to feed and care for both Naomi and Ruth. Second of all, if he marries Ruth and she has children, there's going to be more mouths to feed. But worst of all, in his eyes, is the fact that any children born to Ruth will inherit the land. It won't be distributed to his descendants it will be distributed to Elimelech's descendants. And so he loses money all along the way and doesn't get the land in the end if he marries Ruth and she has children. Supporting all those extra people, losing that land in the end, that may mean that he would have had to draw on his own inheritance, perhaps sell some of it just to 
keep the family alive. And that's why he says, I can't redeem it lest I impair my own inheritance. When he says impair my inheritance, he means harm it or reduce it. So with his refusal to redeem the land and to redeem Ruth, the one significant barrier to Boaz redeeming the land and marrying Ruth is swept aside. And then the narrator tells us how legal decisions were certified in that day and time, of course, about the sandal being passed. And then in verses 9 to 11a, Boaz declares his decision to buy Elimelech's land and to marry Ruth so that a descendant of Elimelech can possibly be born. Look at Boaz's words in verse 10. It's clear that he understands what he's committing himself to by marrying Ruth. He says, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahlon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off among his brothers and from the gate of his native land. You're witnesses today to this. This great kindness of Boaz, he is committing himself to produce offspring who will count as Elimelech's offspring. It's not so much about the land as it is about preserving Elimelech's name. It's about continuing his fellow clansmen's family line. And of course, when Boaz declares this in the presence of all the people at the gate, all the people and the elders declare, we are witnesses. It's a done deal. Now, what Boaz has done will be very costly for himself. He has shown noble and generous character already in the book of Ruth, especially in chapter 2, but this goes far beyond sharing your lunch and sending Ruth home with a big bag of grain after she's harvested that day. This is a, a very costly kindness. It's a costly redemption. The unnamed first choice redeemer did the math, so to speak. And he decided it wasn't worth it. Now, I don't think that this first choice redeemer was a particularly wicked man. I think he did what was, seemed like common sense in the situation for his situation. But he did miss a chance to act in sacrificial kindness, which would eventually result in being a part of carrying on God's line of redemption that led to the first greatest king that Israel knew, King David, and later to the greatest king in the world, King Jesus. What kind of math do you do when you have the opportunity to show uncommon kindness to other people? Do you think, what will it cost me in terms of time? What's this going to cost me in terms of trouble? Maybe, maybe this is going to cost me some money, actually. What could I be doing to help myself rather than showing kindness to this person? If it's going to cost you, do you pass on serving others with loving kindness? Do you say no to putting them first and their needs rather than your own? When those situations come along, the math that you do might actually be another kind of math. I'll call it gospel math. 
math that's guided by the words of Jesus in verses like Mark chapter 8, 25, where Jesus said, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. That's gospel math. Or Mark chapter 10 when Jesus said, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. That's gospel math. The costly redemption that's carried out by Boaz points us toward the costliest redemption accomplished for us when Jesus Christ came into the world and went to the cross to take on Himself the punishment that we deserve. The cross is the cost of our redemption. His blood was the payment for our freedom from slavery to sin. Boaz was paying the cost of redeeming Ruth and Naomi to perpetuate their family line so that that family line wouldn't be cut off. But Christ paid the price of our redemption so that we wouldn't be cut off from the God who made us. He was cut off from the Father so that we might have perpetual, eternal life. The good news of the gospel teaches us that the Lord Jesus willingly paid the cost for us to be redeemed. Hebrews 12.2 tells us that He did it with joy. He delighted to save us. It says, for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, despising its shame. Jesus is our Savior who counted the cost. He did the math, and He paid the ultimate cost to redeem us. He's the one who teaches us gospel math when we consider showing costly kindness to the people around us. So when we consider the cost of loving others sacrificially, Christians think about Jesus because we've been loved by Him at such a great cost, the greatest cost. We're freed up to love others at great cost as well. I might ask a specific subset of our congregation and those of you who are here today how this applies specifically to you. For example, husbands. How might you grow in showing costly loving kindness to those around you? Maybe especially your wife and children. Maybe it's using gentle words and not angry words. Maybe it's taking time away from a valued hobby, or maybe the work that you take a lot of pride in, in order to give them more of your time, to disciple your children and to disciple your wife. Now, for any of us in Covenant Hope Church, I would ask you, how can you begin to make more decisions about how you live with others using gospel math? rather than the math that the world uses. When we put others before ourselves and we love others in costly ways, the world will begin to see it. Sometimes they won't, but I guarantee if you continue to live like that, the people around you will see it. Jesus even says in Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works 
And do what? Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We don't love others so that the world sees us and is impressed with us. No, we love others in costly ways so that they might see Jesus. Let's pray and work toward becoming a church that's increasingly known for sacrificial acts of kindness and love, for loving one another, anyone who would come into our midst. The more that characterizes us, the more likely some people in the world will eventually not only see those acts of loving kindness that are costly to us, but they'll hear from us the message of salvation and ultimately give glory to our Father in heaven. Now, because there's abundant blessings for those who live their lives trusting in the Lord who blesses His people, we see in this last section in Ruth chapter 4 that it reveals blessings that are born from the costly redemption that Boaz made. There's blessings from the past that are remembered. There's blessings for the present. And there's blessings for the future that are foreshadowed as well here. Let's read on from Ruth chapter 4, verse 11 to the end, verse 22. Follow along with me. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. And so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went in to her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son." And then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. What we see in these verses is the pouring out and the praying for abundant blessings. Abundant blessings. That's the second point this afternoon. First, we saw costly redemption, and now we see abundant blessings. The first prayer of blessing that's prayed for Boaz at the gate. It might have been spoken by one of the elders, or it could be a composite of what several people prayed for Boaz and the women that he was taking into his care. Overall, their prayer is for Boaz to be known far and wide and for his good character. In other words, his name to become commonly associated with value and worth and goodness. 
And their prayer is also for what we can call the house of Boaz or what they call the house of Boaz, for it to be built up. What they're doing is they're literally praying for children to come through Ruth. They're not praying for that field that he bought to bear lots of crops. They're praying for Ruth to bear lots of children. And so they look back to the blessings of children that were born to Rachel and Leah, the two wives of Jacob, who was also called Israel. Between those two women, Rachel and Leah, 12 sons were given to Jacob, the 12 tribal heads who created the nation of Israel. And in verse 12, they pray that Boaz's house might be like the house of Perez, who was a son born to Judah, one of the sons of Jacob, by his daughter-in-law, Tamar. Now, the birth of Perez came about as a result of sin between Judah and Tamar, specifically the sin of Judah. But the Lord redeemed that situation, and it would be through Tamar, the Canaanite woman, that the Messianic line was carried on. What's clear is that they're praying that Boaz's family that are born through Ruth would become a dynasty. That's what they're praying for. What an amazing blessing for them to pray for this Moabite widow, Ruth, that she would be a great matriarch in Israel. One thing this points us to is that there is room for anyone of any background to become a member of the people of God. If Ruth the Moabite can become a great matriarch in the family people of God, so can anyone. If you're not a Christian, we're glad that you've come to our service today. You're always welcome, not just on Christmas Eve day. But don't just think that you have to stay as a visitor amongst the people of God. No matter what your background is, no matter what you've done, no matter what sins you've committed, the offer of forgiveness of those sins is open to all through Jesus Christ. You can become a Christian. To become a Christian doesn't involve changing your name. It doesn't involve abandoning your family of origin. It simply involves repenting of your sin and trusting in this Christ, this Messiah. Oh, I encourage you to do that, even today. Trust in Jesus. Now, while Bethlehem, the Bethlehem elders prayed for Ruth to become a great matriarch in Israel, the fact is that she had not been able to give birth in all her years of marriage with Mahlon, Elimelech's son in Moab. But in verse 13, we learned that it might be possible after all. Boaz took her as his wife, they consummated the marriage, and the Lord gave her a son. Ruth had been barren for 10 years and hadn't given birth. And now the Lord has blessed she and her new older husband with a child. The Lord had ended the famine in Israel in chapter 1 giving a harvest to his people, and now he's given a child to carry on the family name of Elimelech in chapter 4. This child would be considered the greatest blessing for Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. In many ways, this little boy is the fruit 
and the goal of the redemption of Ruth and Naomi. As much as we're touched by the marriage of Ruth and Boaz, and it is touching, the child is the blessing that the author wants us to focus on. But there's more. Do you remember how the women gathered around Naomi in her bitterness when she first returned to Bethlehem in chapter 1? Now they're gathered around Naomi as she holds her grandson, and they pray a blessing on her and on him. Now what's surprising about their prayer is that they call the baby boy a redeemer. Boaz, of course, redeemed Ruth and Naomi, but this child will be a redeemer as well in that he will redeem the family name. He's going to carry it on. He's going to protect the family line and the inheritance of Elimelech. These women pray that this child will be a restorer of life and a nourisher of Naomi's old age. And just like the elders at the gate prayed for Boaz to be renowned, or we might say famous, the women pray that this little boy will be famous as well. But Ruth doesn't go without being praised in all of this. They declare something about Ruth that we've known all along, of course, as we've read through the book of Ruth. They remind Naomi, your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons. Incredible worth they're attributing to Ruth. To say that Ruth was worth more than seven sons is stunning in this culture where sons were so highly valued. This prayer of the women draws attention to the real love story that's the main feature of the book. We might be tempted to see the relationship between Boaz and Ruth as the main feature, and certainly there is love between them. But the most important human love story highlighted in the book of Ruth is Ruth's love for Naomi. When Naomi takes this little boy in her lap, the women declare that a son has been born to Naomi. That's what it's like. She came back to Bethlehem empty, but now the Lord has poured out His abundant blessings literally into her lap in this grandson. She's gone from being empty, coming back to Bethlehem, to now being full and overflowing with blessings from the Lord. The Lord is always plotting and planning to pour out blessings on those who trust in Him. No matter what trials and tribulations, no matter what losses we're experiencing, no matter what pain we're going through, The Lord is plotting to bless us. Possibly not all in this life, definitely not all in this life. We only taste a little bit of it in this life, the blessings. Just a small portion of what we'll eventually be blessed with when we're fully redeemed, when we go to glory and stand before the Lord when we're given new bodies free from a sinful nature. Oh, that will be the blessings in all their fullness. That is what the Lord is doing for His people, even us. 
Oh, church, do you believe that? Do you trust in that? Is that your greatest hope that you hang on to in the midst of hardships and pain? Look to those abundant, full blessings that the Lord has promised to us. And the blessings will keep coming through this child as we continue reading on to the end of the chapter. His name was Obed. It means servant of the Lord. At the end of verse 17 through 22, the narrator then tells us what became of this child. Not only would that child care for Naomi in her old age, but he would be the grandfather of the greatest king of Israel. Remember that this quaint story, I mean, it's really a small story in the grand history of Israel. Seemingly, it takes place during the dark time of the judges, a time of wickedness and sin, a time of moral chaos, leaderlessness in Israel. And now we know, looking back with the narrator, that the Lord was preparing a great king to bring to Israel out of the darkness and into a new era of strength and glory through King David. This line of Boaz, the Redeemer, would eventually produce a Redeemer, not just for one family, but for the whole nation. The birth of this baby boy called a Redeemer himself by the women of Bethlehem, it points us forward, of course, in the Bible's grand storyline to the birth of another baby boy in Bethlehem hundreds of years later. He was a descendant of Judah through Perez, through Boaz, through Obed, through King David, born to Mary. His name is Jesus, and He is the Redeemer not just for Israel, but for the whole world. The angel told Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great or renowned. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Zechariah prophesied about Jesus, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Jesus is the Redeemer that every sinner desperately needs. Jesus came into the world he took on human nature and a human body in order to live for us, to die for us, and to be raised to new life for us and for the glory of the Father. Anyone who trusts in Him is adopted into the family genealogy of God. And their names are not written into the Bible, as amazing as that is. They're written into the Lamb's book of life. We become sons and daughters of the Lord when we repent and trust in Christ. Jesus' costly redemption brings us the greatest blessings 
that anyone could ever know, the blessings of salvation. He takes people who are empty and He fills them up with the best of blessings. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise You for sending Christ into the world to save sinners like us. Lord, we needed redemption, and You have provided it in Christ. It was costly, and You've poured out Your abundant blessings on us in Him. I pray that especially during this season, but really throughout the whole year, Lord, we would meditate on what we have in Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Well, this afternoon, we are going to take the Lord's Supper together.